This is Mission Disco, a conversation about imagination, innovation and Christian mission in Ireland and beyond. I am Simon Kilpatrick. And I am Brian Sanders. We are your DJs for this conversation. Are you playing football tonight, by the way? Is this part of the podcast? <laughs> I am playing. Listen, this is the only time we get to talk. It the is. first two minutes of a podcast, the only time we get to talk about nothing. talk about random so. stuff. Okay, I am playing football tonight. Are you? Yes. Are you Finally, I'm not people? quarantined, so I'm allowed to bump up against people and breathe on them and score goals. That's going to be the big... So have you been allowed tonight. back? I'm allowed back. Alex is allowing me back, so... So do you want to lift? Anyway. Yeah, that, that'd be great. So I'm glad we got that sorted out early on. It's <laughs> <laughs> very good. Um, yeah, I, I'm just thinking we haven't, we've been recording loads of these on Zoom, which has been working well, but it's been a while since we recorded one in person. Sad. But it means we can get other guests on very easily, which is great. Um, and uh, we, so this is going to be, if you've listened to it in the right order, this is the second episode of the October 2020 um, episode of Mission Disco. And the first episode, we spoke with Clifford Sullivan uh, and we talked uh, a little bit about his job, what he does, the, the link between what he does and how he lives at his calling and his faith, um, the importance of love and caring for people. And uh, it was a really interesting discussion. So if you haven't listened to that, listen to that one first. But we wanted to kind of do two parts and interview two different people. So we have Ross Hill, and we're going to talk about his role, his job, how that inter um, links, interplays with calling and what that means for him. Uh, Ross runs a art supply company and also leads a church in kind of turn your area, a 24-7 prayer community uh, with his wife, Lucy. Uh, so we're going to be talking to him a little bit about that and, and discussing uh, what that means. Hopefully an interesting discussion. We're only doing take one, so better be interesting. Um, but yeah, <laughs> we do. Um, but thank you, Ross, for for joining us today. It's good to see you, Ross. Also, good to be here, guys. Party. Yeah, <laughs> crashing your uh, little football discussion rendezvous kind of. Sorry, was thing. that rude? Would you like was, to come to? Yeah, I would, and it just felt like a little private sort of conversation there that <laughs> you know you guys need to have separately. You know, it's actually it's actually a really exclusive game. You can't just get in, can you? So, Sounds yeah. like it. And they've, let Americans, and they've let Americans play as well. And you don't pick up the ball, Brian, do you? In the middle of the game, <laughs> you've learned that rule. He did. He's not bad for an American. He's really good. for an American. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He stays in position, does he? <laughs> he does. <laughs> I find that hard to believe. <laughs> um, Ross, thanks for um, coming on. I've got to know you over the last few years, good friends. So it's it's good to have you. And we, anytime we do these podcasts, it tends to be more of a, a chat discussion and not a big serious thing. But it'd be good for for those who don't know you, maybe tell us a little bit about kind of who you are and what you do, business, etc. And then we'll we have some questions. Then we'll ask you about about that. Sure. Yeah. So um, I'm Ross, and married to Lucy, and. We have three girls, just like you, Simon. So we have a lot of commonality and we need to set up that father and three girls support group sometime. So <laughs> particularly uh, in the years to come. Um, so three girls, Maddie, Ruby and Iris, and they're all in school at the same time this year, which is great. Great to have them back at school. I live in Terenure in Dublin. 
Um, started cycling to work actually this week. Yesterday was my oh. first go cycling to work. So it's 15 Ks there and back. So um, I'm glad I'm just at home cycle. today. Yeah. So, um, so that was good. Um, so yeah, you um, talking a, bit, a little bit about business and church this morning. So my background is I grew up, business was in my family. My dad was a sales agent. Uh, he also was involved in church stuff as well. Um, and his dad, my grandfather, was in business as well. And on my mum's side, my grandparents had, they ran a hardware shop in Bray, actually. And we used to go down as kids and we used to help. We used to work, but it was primarily probably more getting extra batteries for our radio controlled cars. And that's, that's how we viewed going to Grand's hardware shop. Are you shop. any good at DIY as a result of them owning a DIY shop? Oh, brilliant. Yeah, we knew all the types of batteries that you could get. I remember putting in like several batteries into my bag once and thinking I was in my grand's house when grand had to come over and say, listen, you know, you have to pay for those. <laughs> Stealing. So, yeah, I know. And my mum reminded me recently that as I was growing up, like the sort of sense of entrepreneurial stuff was in my blood so much that I didn't think anything of selling some of my toys that I had got bored with to my friends. And one day she burst into my room and I had all my old toys that I didn't like with little price tags against it and I'd invited my friends to come in and we were doing some deals about X-wing fighters that had just you know broken off or whatever and until I was told this was not allowed so anyway I uh, I studied business in college and I worked in um, management consulting in a big corporate for five years after that and then 15 years ago I joined the family business that does art supplies and my dad sort of retired very quickly after that he wanted to get out as quickly as I joined and I've been kind of running that business um, for, yeah, got some 15, 16 years. We have close on 20 employees. We have a warehouse out on the west side of Dublin. We supply art shops all across Ireland. Church-wise, um, yeah, as you said, Simon, we're part of the 24-7 Prayer Network, which is a global organization mobilizing prayer, mission, and justice. And they, as well as mobilizing prayer, they do have communities, church plants that we're connected in with, and um, myself and Lucy co-lead that, my wife. Um, and we grew up a lot around non-denominational church, and kind of, so this is a good fit for us. We're really seeking to explore new ways of doing and being church in the city. Part of that is um, linking in business and enterprise. So that's oh. a little bit. Thinking about I don't know, growing up, I, there seemed to be much more of a a very uh, defined line between church stuff and then everything else. So we used to say, this is the sacred, this is church, we do this here, we dress a certain way, we go to church, and then the secular world is everything else. And I think we did it with personal lives, that we just, I'm a Sunday Christian and then not during the week, or we did it with church and the church recognized and said, this is what, we, this is what church is, this is how we do church and then everything else you do in the week you kind of do yourself those lines it seems over the last few years that we've kind of those lines have been blurred that we don't have that kind of solid divide between the secular world and the sacred world and they're kind of I don't know kind of uh, just merged and exist in both have you like has that been a journey for you would you have had that experience Ross or yeah, I think that's 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 been a real journey for me. I think I think I always would have been under the impression that the real action happened on a Sunday, church-wise, and business was there just to kind of pay the bills, maybe write a check at the end of each month towards a missionary organization, and that's as far as they both met. And I suppose my journey 
over the last number of years, particularly as we're thinking about enterprise and mission as vehicles for God's mission, um, church-wise, those dualistic ways of thinking have begun to collapse a lot more. So, yeah. Um, it's interesting too. I was, I was just just kind of remembering my own experience with that. It, it feels like there's these these kind of dualistic tensions of like there were people that care about mission and people that don't and growing up in church i would be like people that cared about mission of course there was always an s on the end of that you know missions as if it's something that has nothing to do with me and then this it was it would i would hear it say it said you know you're either going or you're sending so you're either going to get on a plane and go to a foreign land and be a proper missionary or you should be funding it Right. So so even even with our, our understanding of the church's relationship to mission, <clears throat> you know, to to somehow supporting the work of mission, you either left the, the job you were in, the world you were in, whatever, uh, to go be a proper missionary or you or you grind and earn money, you know, the the, the kind of secular side to fund those people. And that's it. And that's a pretty stark bifurcation. That's a pretty dualistic approach. Um, and it just didn't seem wrong. It just seemed like, yeah, that's actually, that's a good thing that you're thinking of even caring about mission at all. And to me, part of what's, what's changed so, so radically and fundamentally, which now that it has, you sort of look back and go, why, why, why didn't we always see it this way? Is of course the possibility that exactly where you are, you, you can be a missionary. You're, you're supposed, you're meant to be a missionary. And, you know, th this sort of, I don't know, pulling funding uh, out of, m you know, mission work. So if the place where I live and work pays me and I see that as a missionary placement, then I don't have to go ask someone else to work to fund me to be there. You see what I'm saying? It's like the whole thing is opened up. It's like the world is, is, is brand new, you know, in this regard. Yeah, I think I kind of thinking back, we're, we're always kind of uh, encouraged or challenged to kind of share our faith or be evangelistic in our workplaces and, and feeling we're sent there. But there's something, I don't know, something maybe, I don't know if we've, we've, we talk about it much in Ireland, but there is that calling to something else, that vocation. We've kind of, um, we, we limit the, the idea of calling vocation to uh, maybe to something like a job, like a teacher or a nurse or church work. Um, but I think those, that word vocation is really interesting one. And two words come across relatively recently, which seem to be used, uh, the words bivocation and co-vocation, which I don't think we use a huge amount um, in Ireland. Vocation being that calling, that desire to do something that ultimately God calling us to bivocation, thinking that, well, I have two callings. I'm called to be a teacher during the week and I'm called to, to lead a church on a Sunday or be part of a church on a Sunday. They're my two callings, but they don't overlap. They're two separate things that I do. Or I do one of those vocations to earn money to be able to do the other. But the idea of co-vocation saying that actually what I do during the week and what I do on a Sunday, they're linked. There's overlap between them. They're not two separate entities that I work on and that are completely disconnected. And I think, Ross, not a word when talking about you, but it seems like that, that's maybe how you view 
business, mission, church, that overlap. And actually you're called to both things, but it's not only that you're called to those two things, but there's actually a merge or an overlap between those two callings as well. Yeah, and I think probably it's more about an alignment of my life rather than carving it out into separate buckets that never overlap. And I think that's probably recapturing a sense of what God's call is, as you said, Simon, over us. And and I think as I, you know, a lot of this is mind shift and rethinking and reapplying how we think about work, you know, and we could we could talk a long time about, you know, we're made in the image of God, who is a creator, who works, who put that image in us. We are born to create, we're born to innovate, we're born to work. So that is part of our calling. I think what's probably tripped us up a little bit is business, corporate, has all just got a bad name over the last few years. Like, you know, Ireland went through a terrible crash, you know, financially, and there was a lot of corruption and bad decisions. So business has just got a bad name, but that doesn't mean it can't be redeemed or it can't be a vehicle where we uh, redeem things through and see some stuff restored. And, um, you know, I just love the story that Jesus was a carpenter for so many years of his life. And, he sold, he took returns back, he he did things. And Paul, you know, commerce carried Paul's ministry for so many years. And, you know, what does it mean to, you know, when you think of Daniel and Joseph and Esther and all these people in the Bible, you know, they weren't kind of our classic full-time ministry people, but there were people who brought the kingdom of God to places that need it in so many ways. And I think, you know, there's a couple of things that I've learned over through the years. And one of them, and, it, and it's interesting, there's things that I've learned in business that have carried over to church and there's things that I've learned in church that have carried over to business. And we can go into those if if you want now or leave it later yeah no i think uh, yeah is there, like when you do these two roles ross what are some of the things that you've learned what are the the, the skills that you've learned or the, the shared learning between having both those roles and it is you talk about them being one calling or the converging of those two things together to be one thing what are some of those things you've learned over the past few years yeah, I think I think there's a couple of learnings and then there's also some struggles. This is not an easy journey and you're still learning. But one of them is this whole thing of learning to experiment. Um, don't be afraid to try to try and do something different. This is something, you know, in the business world, um, five year plans are out the doors. They're dinosaurs. I was talking to some business consultants recently and they they described startups and businesses as a series of experiments that we need to be doing. And this, that phrase of series of experiments has just stayed with me. And I know in business, like we, part of what we're doing is launching new products into the marketplace. And one of the things I've learned is that for every 10 products we might launch, only two are going to work. But the only way we're going to know those two are going to work is that we launch the 10. And, you know, we, you know, we're talking about different channels that we go down in terms of our customers and our marketplaces. And the only way that you're going to know some of that stuff is, is to try it. And so I think one of the things that we need to learn, um, and I'm learning this in business, but it's also spilling over into what we're doing as a church is a little bit like what Jesus says to his disciples in John 21. He says, throw your nets over the other side and see what happens. And I just love that phrase, see what happens. Um, and, you know, the, the kind of point here is that 
unless you try, you won't know what's going to happen. And then also the learning is to be able to call it when something doesn't work. And I think probably in our church mindset, we are afraid of trying stuff in case it doesn't work. But I'm going, the sooner we know it doesn't work, the sooner we can try something else. So, for example, um, in the middle of COVID, which is huge disruption, I'm saying to our guys, you know, we have to gather on Zoom. Um, and that's constantly changing. We put a plan in place a few weeks ago and that's changed again. Um, Zoom works great for some things and it's terrible for other things. And we're constantly trying to change how we use Zoom, how we do mission during this time. I'm saying to the guys, like, there's a whole new opportunity here. We started doing um, one of the 24-7 prayer courses on Zoom, broadcast it to who anyone who wants to join with that. So there learning to experiment I think is one thing that straddles both my worlds that I'm trying to launch products in the business world and we're trying to experiment how we do mission and increasing the learning through that and I think I think that's just something I've learned don't be afraid to try something different um, and we need to move particularly now we need to move from a place of we've never done this way we've never done this thing this way before to moving to a posture of whatever it takes and kind of like throwing the shackles off a little bit and discerning where God is working, particularly in the middle of this disruption and move into that, not be afraid to move into that. So that's one learning. Um, other learnings are, you know, you know, my own thinking about discipleship. We've always kind of just felt discipleship is only in the four walls of the church and all about acquiring more information, adjusting our behavior. All of that is really important. But as you watch Jesus, how he modeled his leadership with people, you see this whole thing of grace and truth, the way he was able to connect with people. Woman at the well, Zacchaeus stuck up a tree, Peter the fisherman, he connected with them. There was something that, 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 that he built relationship with them and he, he got to them. But he also called them into something else. So I would just say, learn to pr practice compassionate curiosity and watch what God does. You know, like I was running through the canteen the other day and one of, one of the other staff members was there and um, this person just, and as it turns out, this issue's gone in their, in their family and we were able to just talk through it. But that's just a little micro example of how asking really good questions, connecting with people, but also um, calling people into their true identity. And that can happen in the workplace as well as in church. You know, um, obviously it's slightly different and you have to kind of, you know, choose different words and language and things like that. But calling people into their true identity can happen in the workplaces as well as church. Um, yeah, I'm, and there's some of the sure things. People, I'm not sure people understand. <clears throat> so if I, if I look at it from the, from the sort of missionary side, the, the church planter, missionary person, you know, the, the hardest work, the most, you know, crucial moment in the life of a missional person is like presence. It's, it's to actually belong somewhere. It's incarnation, right? It's to find some space where the kingdom is needed and, and suddenly you're there and you belong there. But presence, like being in a place like that or incarnation is, is connected to the issues of access and legitimacy. So how do you get there? You don't, you can't just show up, you know, like if, if we were trying to reach, you know, Google, for example, in Dublin, you, you don't just walk in the front door and say, Hey, I'm here to be a missionary to Google. 
they're, they're going to be like, there's the door you need, to, you need to leave. I mean, the first thing you would do in terms of access is you'd think, can I get a job here? Is there a way to get a job here? And that's really hard to do to have both access and legitimacy without a role, without some kind of reason to be there. And I'm not sure that people in the workplace, in the marketplace, in jobs, understand what a precious thing they have, this this sort of commodity, which on the missionary side, the church planner side, it's so hard to obtain that, that legitimacy that you just have, you know, because you took a job and because whether you, whether you're clear on it or not, God has led you possibly to that place and given you this access and this legitimate place there, this belonging there. And I guess, I guess, you know, in, even in my own life, trying, trying to figure out missionally how to break into certain enclaves or certain demographs and trying you know, working with teams to strategize how to get there and realizing God already has people often placed there, strategically placed there. They just don't see themselves as missionaries. So I, I suppose it, it's, it's kind of a, a, an awakening or an epiphany that both sides need to have of, of what they've been given. Yeah, I think it's, I think people need to hear that God actually cares about what they do Monday to Friday, nine to five and God, and even that sense of I'm sent into this place to love and care for people. Ross, you mentioned a little bit about that there. Um, But I think the church has done a really bad job of saying that it's okay to feel called to those places and praying for those people in those places. You know, we recognize and pray for and elevate those people who take on full-time or voluntary roles within the church, but we haven't recognized people's calling to be in those businesses. And even if they don't call them calling, those roles and opportunities in those businesses to love and care for the, the people they work alongside. The church hasn't, the church needs to elevate that, recognize that. Comes back to the priesthood of all believers that actually it's not just the professional um, to do that, but the church needs to be able to help people see that as well as individuals recognizing it. Totally. And I think, you know, sometimes we feel second class, don't we? And, you know, we need, we probably need a redefinition of full-time ministry because in a sense, we're all full-time ministry, aren't we? Um, Whether we are working as a nurse, a teacher, a business person, or someone who spends most of their time pastoring a church. But I think you're right, Simon. I think it comes down to validation, um, permission, and that sense of commissioning people into those places. And we need to work hard at that. I think we all hold up our hands and go, there is that still mindset that um, you're not really doing, you know, all the cutting edge stuff unless, unless it's full time in a church. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So let's just, let's just use your life as a, as a kind of prototype for what, what it is maybe that we should be seeing more, what we would hope to see more, which is a person that feels a very strong sense of like, God has a call on my life to see his kingdom expanded. And I run a business and that's a part of that, but it's not the only thing that I do related to that. I mean, you you're, you really sort of are a great example for us of what we're talking about, but can you be um, candid with us about, the difficulties of that. So, you know, just, and we've had, I know we've had conversations before. It just, it occurs to me that 
whenever you try to do two things, sometimes you can feel like you're not good at either of them or you're not, you know, there, there, there's, there's people that are maybe just focusing on church and ministry and they sort of shine. And then people that they just gave themselves to business, maybe you can make more money or you can do better in that marketplace. Talk, talk about that. Just like the, the human side of trying to do two things, which maybe are hard to integrate or, or the, the cultural milieu is not necessarily helping you <laughs> to integrate those two things into one. Talk, talk to us about that experience. Yeah, I think it's a great question because it is a challenge and um, I'm constantly learning a few things on that. I think one of them is how we measure things. Business has a very clear measurable indicators. So that makes it kind of, nearly hard, you know, hard nosed numbers, whether they're sales numbers or profit line numbers or whatever, where the metric as we plant churches is a little bit different. And actually, I think sometimes the trap that the church has fallen into is that we measure things that um, may not be the right things to measure. So that's a, that's probably a struggle. I live in two worlds where the the measurables are a little bit different and learning to, to cope with that. I think another thing is my time, you know, um, both areas, you know, people would say to me, people who are in full-time ministry, inverted commas would say, how do you manage your time? You know? And, you know, I ask myself that question all the time. And I think, you know, what it's forced me to do is realize I can't, I can't do everything. And it's forced me to become dependent on others. And even in our team in the church, it's forced me, who naturally would like to control things and be involved in everything, it has forced me to let some stuff go. And um, I, for example, if, if I'm preparing something for Sunday, I have to limit my time. I don't have the luxury of spending 20 or 30 hours to prepare a talk. It's kind of on the go. And so we've learned to adapt as we, we've gone in that. But managing time is difficult. You know, there are so many hours in the day. And um, sometimes I'm just learning. Also, there's like the whole thing of getting your sense of worth and identity from these two worlds. And, you know, if I'm honest, I get it from, from both worlds, you know. And so that creates a pull, um, nearly an addiction to like, oh, if I spend you know, an extra bit of time here, I can eke out, you know, extra sales, you know, all that trap. And then on the other side as well. So there is, it is that sense of kind of where do we get our worth and identity struggling with margin, you know, you know, that difference between our load that we have on and our limits. I think um, there's part of me that I would love a little bit more margin in my life. And there's things that I'm working around that in terms of delegation. And um, I think just learning to live with open hands and learning that I don't have to control everything and realizing that God is present and meets us where we are. And as I've kind of, as I've kind of taken a posture, it's amazing where you can actually see where God is working already. And he cares about it more than I do. That is, that's one lesson I'm really learning. Um, but it's hard. It's not easy. You know, these things are, you you have to kind of nearly go through them as you're as you're learning on the go. Mm. I just as you talk a little bit about kind of 
the, the metrics and what you measure, there's something, and I, I've heard a lot of people say, but I had a conversation with someone there the other day about when you're doing all ministry stuff or work, well, not even ministry stuff, but working with people who you don't see results straight away. It's a slow process of something, whether you're a teacher, whatever you are, it's always a slow process. There's always something really good when you do something practical that has an end point that's finished that you can work on, you can see progress. I was building something in the garden the other day that, for plants and it was just satisfying doing something that I could finish. It's not finished yet, but it's getting there. But it is, it's something that, that happens and you can see progress. Whereas I think working with people, it's much harder to do that. I know I've talked to you before and you know, we can think about ourselves. Okay, I'm, I'm called into business, called to church. I see this as, as one calling. I can be missional. I can feel I'm sent into both of these places. But could you talk? And I, I, I know this is kind of early stages at the moment, but what does kind of the, the fruit of when business and church comes together? Because we think, okay, I'll build church and church looks like this and business is like this. And I feel maybe that I'm called to both those places. But do you see fruit that maybe is both of those things together, business and church, business and mission together as kind of expressions of what church is? Like, I know you've been working on some projects in its early days, but not just seeing church develop and business develop. And I feel called to both of those, but actually church and business together producing something. What does that look like? Yeah, I think one of the things that I've been really inspired about over the last few years as I've looked at it is like the old monastic movements, you know, where you would have a monastery that were centers of prayer, centers of teaching, but also they were centers of hospitality and enterprise, you know, crops, brewing beer, knitting iron jumpers, you know, everyone wants one. <laughs> and, you know, just, and also I came across this article um, in the Irish Times a few years ago about how, how the Quakers saved Ireland in the mid 1800s, probably as a history in terms of Ireland, the worst time, the famine, millions died. Um, and how the Quakers used their businesses and enterprises to br bring um, restoring people's lives and bringing food, not only food, but you read that they set up soup, soup kitchens, they provided seed for planting new crops, but they also ran educational programs as well to teach people how to sow, you know, and they, by 1852, I just came across the other day, the Quakers had helped 40,000 people and handed over 100,000 pounds, which was the equivalent of 10 million euro in today's money of seed and microfinance effectively to these guys. And I just went, you know, you talk about the Guinness family and the Cabri family in, in the UK and how they started a business, but actually they had multiple bottom lines. It wasn't just making profit, but it was to treat their staff well. It was to enhance the lives of their community. And I suppose our story has evolved over the last few years as we've talked thought about how how can we be missional? How can we bring life to our community? How can we be people who um, give people a picture of the kingdom of God that breaks some of the old pictures that they might have? And so we have a lady in our church who's an amazing baker. In fact, we have probably several, several people who are amazing bakers, my kids and my wife included. Um, <laughs> you but, yeah, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Um, the cookies are... Still burnt, but you know, they are getting there. Um, so we, we kind of said, listen, we've got some business guys, we've got some bakers. There's a local farmer's market that happens down in 
Taryn, you're here. Let's go and set up a stall and just join in and start selling some baked goods and see what happens. And that has kind of led to the process of us um, sort of we're in the early stages of setting up a bakery business. And one of the bakers has a real heart for kids who have learning difficulties. And particularly when they leave secondary school, they kind of nearly fall off the grid a little bit. And our dream would be that we would create a business based on a bakery bakery business but that we would provide meaningful employment or meaningful spaces at the table for kids with learning difficulties to be able to join in and feel part of something and that this this would be a place where people would find community this would be a place where people uh, find their identity Um, this would be a place where people get inspired again that they can what the world has said about them doesn't define them and that in a way we're bringing God's kingdom restorative justice to those places in people's lives. So in a way, this little idea of a bakery for us is a micro example of what God's kingdom could look like in, in Dublin and beyond. And I, I think we don't know where it's going to go, but for us, it's, it's very much linked to what we would say church it is an expression of church not everyone's going to be involved in it and that's fine we'll have other bits for that but we're kind of pulling back the curtains a little bit and giving people a view to what the church could look like i remember when we were down at bushy park market one day friends of ours were there they saw me with the apron on selling the products and said you know tell me about this i said there's a bakery friend of ours in our church this is great idea and we're trying to get it set up and he said you know, church, business, what's going on here? And I said, you know, our church is based on prayer, mission and justice. And for us, this is a huge part of that. This is an expression of prayer, mission and justice in the community. And he goes, you're wrecking my head, Ross, but I want to know more. And I think, you know, in a way, we need to think missionally more about how do we help shift people's mind view and mindset around what does church and kingdom look like so we're at the early stages of that we're excited about it and i'm excited about how business can be nearly more integrated into church and mission and used for vehicles of uh, restoring stuff that has gone wrong and bringing soul to light you know and you're inspired again you know when jesus quotes isaiah you know to bring to freedom to captives to bring you know justice to come to the oppressed and bring liberty and freedom. And for me, that's just such a wide view of the gospel and mission. Quite inspiring when you think about it. Of course, to me, what I, when I hear you talking, Ross, I just think microchurch, that's what I'm thinking. You know, we're, you're talking about a bakery, but you're also talking about the church. Uh, you know, this is partly why I think it's, it's, we need a new term you know, that's, that's a little more liberated and a little less attached to an inherited system. But it's funny because, you know, I don't know if you've seen this, Simon, but more and more people are using that term microchurch and I'm finding that it's, it's being co-opted back into regular churchy kind of contexts, you know, it's frustrating (laughs) because, you know, this, this is, this is exactly the idea that the church can be and should be everywhere, anywhere. Anywhere where people are, anywhere where enterprise happens, the church can emerge there. The church should emerge there. And so bakeries can be churches and, you know, 
houses can be places where churches are and teams and sports and art artistic enterprise and there just isn't a place where the church can't be can't emerge but i do think there is this kind of uh, cynicism or fear and i want to ask you about this ross like i don't even know if we've ever talked about this because we, we tend to be so um positive about this idea but but you know when you're getting into the world of business you are thinking about profit motive and for the people I know that care about business admission, the integration of business admission and thinking about planting businesses as churches and things like that, which you're doing. Um, I don't know that we talk, we talk at all actually about the, is, is there an inherent danger actually of integrating the church into something with this other, with this profit motive, especially when Jesus would have said, Hey, watch out uh, for the accumulation of worldly wealth. It's a, it's a danger zone, you know, it is, it, you know, it can potentially, you know, threaten our souls, you know, just talk about that for a second. Like, how do you do it? How, what, what advice do we give to people to say, okay, yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to go start a business. That's a church, or I have a business and I want to see it more as a ministry, but I have this kind of motive, profit motive. Um, how do you make those things holy or how do you not fall prey maybe to the, to the, the dangers there? Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. I think our experience is that, you know, profit, we need profit. So this is going to be a for-profit business. Um, and so profit, I think for us, profit become, I think the danger is it when it becomes an end. The profit is the sole goal. But what if we shifted that and when profit becomes the means to be able to do multiple things? And there's obviously, we can put structures around that to keep people accountable and, you know, ways of forming entities and corporate structures and stuff like that. But I think, I think um, what we do, we need profits to make this. So we're all, let's, we want loads of profit come on, let's, let's, let's sell lots of cakes, but make sure we give it away <laughs> and make sure we're using it for um, stuff that we wouldn't normally be able to do. I have a friend who um, is also in this area and he, in the, in the town that he's planted his church, um, he went to the local county council and um, sat in the reception room and said, I'm here because uh, I want to talk about funding. And the lady at reception thought that he was looking to apply for funding and so brings out a junior person and says okay here's the forms and my friend says no 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 i'm not here to apply for funding i'm here to give you funding and the guy sort of nearly fell off his his chair and says what and he said i am a local church leader we run businesses and i've ten thousand euro here that we want to give to you to do whatever you want in the community and this guy has built several businesses in the community and is now the third biggest employer in that little town. And I'm going, surely this is why we need profit to be able to restore uh, people's lives, to be able to give stuff away, to be able to kind of reverse the kind of mentality of uh, we always should be asking for money rather than let's give money away. Um, yes, you're right. There are inherent dangers in it. I suppose like, like all these things, um, 
you know, when you think about the parable of the sower, the weeds that that get us or the deceitfulness of riches. And it's something that we need to be constantly aware of it. But I think that's where accountability comes in. That's where structure comes in. But this is like also opening up a whole new funding. We should be thinking about whole new ways of financing our mm. churches and our, and financing our and breaking this kind of cycle of people having to turn up on a Sunday to give into a, a plate to be able to fund another event. You know, there's nothing wrong intrinsically with that, but surely there's better ways of you know, let's set up some businesses that can be funding vehicles that aren't putting pressure on churches to raise loads of money to support, you know, people to run them for them. So I think it opens up a bigger question of, of how do we create new funding models and finance models um, and be accountable to all that. Well, I, and I think that distinction you made there between means and ends is really mm. Profound. I mean, it's it. It may be actually that simple, you know. That yeah. If yeah. if if we see profit making profit, or you know, as essentially a, a step before the end, you know, it's it, then we're going to be okay, or we're still our eyes are still on that prize of disciples or transformation or justice or wholeness or whatever the end game is, the kingdom end game is. But obviously, whenever you put that. Some sort of sub goal has the end. We're 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 threatened anytime we do that. I mean, if you made church attendance the end game, if you made, you know, pe- people who come to your groups or something your your end game, you're also going to be threatened by that. So it's a really good. That's a really helpful distinction. Yeah, really helpful. Um, Ross, it's been really good to to talk with you today. Um, thanks for your ideas and wisdom and it's really good to start this conversation i know a year or two ago we started conversations with some people and you and someone else read a work or led a workshop on thinking about business enterprise as mission so i do think there's people out there there's probably people out there maybe listening to this or who know someone who's listening to this that i think this conversation needs to continue it needs to happen with people who think like you there's lots of people out there and we as a church need to think about how we embrace this and how we think differently about what the church looks like um, so I think if anyone's out there listening and uh, wants to make contact, please contact us some way. Um, you'll probably find something on the website, some sort of email address, or if you know one of us, please make contact. Cause I think to be able to form people together who think like this could be really, really important for the city, the country, as we re-explore and rethink how we do this. I think so, it's, I think it's, yeah, I think it's a really good point, Simon. I, I don't claim to have all the answers and I would love to, form a little cohort of people who are thinking like this in terms of how can we use microfinance how do we can use enterprise to bring um justice to bring light to dark places and to begin to reverse some of the stuff that's that's in our city and um and also you know explore this whole thing of how business enterprise can can link in with how we view church and and all that sort of stuff so yeah email simon apraxis dot ie if that's such an address <laughs> <laughs> it's praxis movement dot ie but yeah do that's make the contact. one praxis movement yeah <laughs> stay uh, on point yeah but uh no i think it, it, it's amazing possibilities and opportunities there so thank you ross thanks for sharing thanks for being on uh, thank we'll you. have you back at some point soon pleasure guys thank you good game you've been listening to mission disco a podcast by praxis movement 
You can find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Praxis Movement. Subscribe, like or download this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud or online at praxismovement.ie.